What is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Above the Rim podcast. I am your host, Tyler. It is Thursday, September 17th, and as usual, we have a ton to get into. We are going to get into the Heat and Celtics Game 2. We're going to preview that a little bit, talk about what happened in Game 1, what I saw in Game 1, and what I thought about it ultimately and we are going to talk about the clippers collapse oh my goodness i hate to say that i told everybody but i kind of told everybody i told everyone pump the brakes on them we're gonna get into their collapse who should be the most to blame for their epic collapse against the denver nuggets and then we will also get into the western conference finals now it is not who we thought it would be but I don't think it's going to take away from how good the series is. I'll give you my thoughts of the Nuggets and Lakers series, and we'll give you a little preview on that. That series starting tomorrow night, of course. So we have a great show to get into today. So let's not waste any more time, and let's just jump right in. Tip-off for the Heat and Celtics Game 2, just a little under an hour away from now as I record this, so let's just get into that right away here. We had Game 1. Now, Game 1, if that was any indication of how good this series is going to be, it's going to be a great series. Now, we know that it's not who everyone thought would be in here at this point in the Eastern Conference Finals. A lot of people had the Bucks. A lot of people had the Raptors. I'm one of those people. The East has made me look horrible in terms of picking NBA games. I'll admit that. I'll be the first to admit that. But it comes with the territory. And even though these are not the teams we expected to see, like I said in the last podcast, it does not take away from how good this series will be because I believe it's going to be a good series. I believe it's going to go back and forth. In game one, the Heat took it 117-114. It went into overtime the only way it could. You know what I mean? That's just the way to start out a series. That is when you know a series is going to be a good series. When game one starts out in a nail-biter overtime game, that is when you know. And we got to go to the Celtics side things first here because Jason Tatum played very well again. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 5 assists. The 14 rebounds is what really is shocking. He has really devoted himself to rebounding the basketball. And part of that is what I've told you is one of my concerns about the Celtics is that they are kind of a small team. You know what I'm saying? They got Daniel Dyson at center a lot. They got Ennis Cantor. He hasn't played much in these playoffs though, surprisingly. So they are a relatively small team, and they need Jason Tatum's. Every one of his rebounds they need for sure. And Marcus Smart, I'm looking at him. He is one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Now, I know for the casual fan who doesn't watch a lot of basketball, they're not always told about Marcus Smart. So let me tell you about Marcus Smart. He is ridiculously good on the defensive end. He really is. He is one of the best defenders in the league. And in game one, he also gave the Celtics 26 points. So that's why it is also disappointing that the Celtics lost game one. Because when Marcus Smart gives you 26 points, that's a game you need to win for sure. But I'm looking at one thing for the Celtics here. Another concern that I have for them besides their lack of size really is that Kemba Walker, we know what he is offensively. We know he's automatic with that step back mid-range. He has been since he was in UConn, since he won the national championship with the UConn Huskies. That mid-range step back has been deadly all the way since his college days. No debating that. No debating his offensive talent either. But what we can debate is his defense because the Heat took advantage of it. He's a small guy. He doesn't look very strong, and he just doesn't play defense very well, and Drogic gave it to him in that game one. 29 points for Drogic. If you're Kemba Walker, you can't let that happen. I mean, I think Kemba Walker might be, well, not might be. I think he is a better player than Drogic. So when you let him outplay you like that, it's tough to win. And I'm looking at Kemba, and he could be a problem on the defensive end, especially in this series. And I think Eric Spolstra in the Heat, as we saw in Game 1, they're a smart enough team to know that, and they're going to attack him, and they're going to attack that weakness. So there's a little concern there for the Celtics, but overall, I mean, these teams are really evenly matched. And then going back to the Heat side, Jay Crowder again was very impressive. 22 points. I told you I don't know what happened since this bubble happened, but he's suddenly turned into like Clay Thompson. I mean, every time I see him shoot a three, it is nothing but net. So props to him, and he's playing real well. 
And we got to move on to Bam's block now because you cannot talk about game one without mentioning the block by Bam Adebayo because it was just flat out amazing. One of the best playoff blocks I've ever seen in my life, considering the circumstances and considering that it was Jason Tatum, of all people, going down to try to flush it in his face, and he just said no. And if you look at the replay, man, look at it in slow motion because that's when you really tell how amazing this block was. This guy's wrist was fully contorted, man. The ball was basically in the cylinder. And he still had the strength to hold his hand there, hold his wrist there, and block it out. I mean, that is a grown man's block. Anytime you see someone try to flush it and they just get rejected, that is a grown man block. And Bam Adebayo, I think, had the first above the rim award, and he's going to have the second as well for the week. And I know it wasn't a dunk, and the above the rim award supposed to be for dunks. I get it. I know. But that was just too good to pass up. That deserved the above the rim ward, re, or award excuse me, of the week. That was amazing. And those of you that know me know how much I love comic books and superheroes and everything of that nature. And quite frankly, that block by Bam Adebayo deserved to be in a comic book with the words in all caps right next to it. Bam. Because that's what I first thought of when I saw that block. It was really an amazing block. And the Heat, they just keep impressing me every single game. I cannot give enough credit to the Heat, to Eric Spolstra, to Pat Riley. Because I know, you know, when Jimmy Butler went to Miami, I was one of the people that was like, wow, you know, you went to Miami, you left Philadelphia, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, a championship opportunity, you lost in a game seven to the NBA champion Raptors. And you go to the Heat? What are you thinking? Is this really about winning? Well, he showed us. He's proved us all wrong. It is about winning. And he saw something in the Heat that I don't think anybody else saw. And Jimmy Butler deserves credit for that. Also, he deserves credit because he came up big in that game. Had the big layup. He had the big three at the end of regulation, but still went to overtime. But then he had the big layup over Jason Tatum. He just was too powerful. He just said, get out of my way, young man. And he made that shot. So give Jimmy Butler all the credit in the world. I know I should because after his free agent decision, I was questioning a lot of things. Not anymore. He made the right decision. There was no better fit for Jimmy Butler than the Miami Heat. I don't know what it is, but he just fits that team. And really, anybody who goes to Marquette fits that team. You got Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder's in here making a difference in the bubble. If you go to Marquette, your goal should be to go to the Miami Heat. I mean, that is what your goal should be. And speaking of going to the Miami Heat, we got to talk about this rookie that got drafted by the Miami Heat. And that is one Tyler Hero. I've told you guys that I love this kid. I think he's got guts. He reminds me of a Clay Thompson type of player. And obviously, Eric Spolstra loves him too because he got 40 minutes in a playoff game, in a conference final game, under Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra gave him 40 minutes, and what did he give Spolstra? 12 points, 9 assists, and 11 rebounds. This guy's big time. For a rookie, he is big time, and he deserves his respect. Spolstra sees it, and I got nothing but respect for Tyler Hero because he has been big time all playoffs, hitting timely shot after timely shot, and just really performing at a real high level as a rookie, has got to be super impressive if you're a Heat fan and really just a fan of basketball. And now, when I dive deeper into this game, because let's talk about this game one a little bit. When I dive deeper into this, obviously the Heat win by three, 117-114, and everything else, if you look at the box score, everything else is pretty much even. I mean, I'm going down the list here. You got field goal percentage. The Heat had 47%. Boston had 44. Three-point percentage, 44 to 35. 
The Boston Celtics hit 15. The Heat hit 16. Free throws. They both made 21 free throws. Rebounds. Heat won 41 to 37. They had seven offensive to the Heat six. Assists. The Heat won that category by eight. Blocks was tied. Steals. The Celtics won by three. Turnovers. The Heat had two more. But really, where this game was won and lost, if you look at the whole box score and seeing how similar those numbers are, there's one discrepancy in this box score. And it's really where the game was won and lost. And it goes back to my concern about the Celtics of them just not having enough size. And here's why. The Miami Heat scored 48 points in the paint in Game 1 to Boston's 26. That's a problem. And it directly correlates with the fact that Boston is kind of a small team when you really look at them. I mean, Jimmy Butler on that play, that layup, he got to the hoop. He did what he wanted to Jason Tatum. He's stronger. You know what I mean? He kind of just pushed him out of the way. And the Celtics are small. So they're going to give up points in the paint for sure. And that's got to be a concern. And that's really where I'm looking at the Heat. That's where they won game one. Now it'll be interesting to see what happens in game two. I do think this series goes seven. You know that I got the Heat in seven. But I do think this series is going to be going back and forth, back and forth. So I look for the Celtics to pick up a win tonight. And even if they don't, it's not the end of the world. But I will say if they don't, then the Heat just really, really look like a dominant team so far in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. Game one, like I said, the Heat won it in the paint, points in the paint. We'll see how the Celtics respond, what kind of adjustments Stevens makes. It'll be real interesting tonight, but I think the Celtics do pick up the win, mainly because I think these teams are real evenly matched, and I think this series is going to go back and forth. Now with that out of the way, We've got to get into this Clippers Nuggets game seven. And I know you can't see me, but I am smiling mainly because all year I have been down on the Clippers and I have been chastised for it. I have been called a Laker homer, a LeBron lover, everything you can think of. And it just so turns out that I was right about the Clippers. I was right. This team was full of themselves. They thought that they could disrespect the process. They thought that they could really disrespect the process and still go on and win an NBA championship. It doesn't work like that in professional sports, and it never has. It never has, and it never will. This team had... They they had the attitude of a dynasty. I wasn't sure if that was the Clippers or if that was the Warriors of last year. And the difference between the two is the Warriors came off of two straight championships. The Clippers came off of nothing. And it's like I told you guys, they got Kawhi Leonard and all of a sudden it was basically like everybody on that team thought that they were a Raptor last year, and they thought they were going for a repeat this year. That is how they took the season. That's how they acted, and that's how seriously they took the season. They thought they were going to waltz over the season, and they just didn't. They didn't. And now we got to get into who's the most to blame for this collapse. Because it was a collapse. I give the Nuggets credit. And we're going to talk about the Nuggets in a minute. And I'll tell you just how much credit I give them for this. But make no mistake about it. When you're up 3-1 and you got double-digit leads in each of the closeout games and you lose, that's a collapse. That is the very definition of a collapse. Now, who's the most to blame? You could go Doc Rivers. I'm not opposed to that. I think there's a lot of blame to go around. I think Doc Rivers is to blame. I think, first and foremost, Kawhi Leonard is to blame, and I'm going to get into why. I think Paul George is to blame. Most definitely, Paul George is to blame. I mean, I I, I could really get into Paul George here, but I'm going to wait a second. I'm going to wait a second on that because he is definitely to blame. Lou Williams, Lemon Pepper Lou, he's to blame. Montrez Harrell is to blame. There is a lot of blame to go around on this Clippers squad, but it starts with none other 
than Kawhi Leonard. It does. And I know I'm about to grill Kawhi, and I get it. Some of you might be like, well, you know what? You didn't grill Giannis. You're right. You're totally right. I didn't grill Giannis for coming up short this year, you know? You're totally right about that. But you want to know what the difference is? Giannis did not have a commercial night one of the NBA drop. He didn't have a commercial on night one drop, basically proclaiming to be the king of the NBA like Kawhi Leonard did. You remember that commercial? Not a lot of people have talked about it this week, but it has to be talked about. Do you remember that commercial? It was all about L.A.'s Kawhi Town. It's L.A.'s my city now. And he had the, the keychain with the crown on it just mocking LeBron James and really mocking the rest of the NBA, basically dangling it in their face, telling everybody, I think I'm the king of the NBA now. That's basically what that commercial said. So when you say, I didn't grill Giannis like I'm about to Kawhi, you're right. But Giannis didn't have this commercial come out and this commercial did not age well one single bit. And he can't be left off the hook after that commercial, man. I mean, really. I'm looking at him. Game 7, 6 of 22 with 14 points and 0 points in the fourth quarter. Really? Really? I mean, ju just let that be LeBron. And everyone is jumping down his throat after that game. That was a classic, classic, classic meltdown by Kawhi Leonard. And I want to remind people, that was the first game in Kawhi Leonard's career where he felt the same pressure and the same expectations as one LeBron James fought when he was 18 years old in high school and people were already pointing him out to be the next Jordan. That was his first game with that type of pressure. With the Spurs, that was Tony Parker, Mono Ginobili, and Tim Duncan's team. That was Tim Duncan's team. Kawhi Leonard was the fourth wheel on that team. There's no pressure on you. You're a role player. Then we go to last year. What pressure was there on Kawhi? He got to the Warriors, and everyone thought the Warriors would win. And as soon as Kevin Durant came back, we all thought, this series is done and over. The Raptors are gone. But Kevin Durant gets hurt again. Klay Thompson gets hurt. And Kawhi wins as the underdog. Kawhi's always been an underdog. That was the first game in his career. This is the first year in his career. People have looked at him like the big dog, and he came up short. And I know a lot of you like, oh, you know what? Why, why, why do you got to bring LeBron into the same conversations quite all the time? Are you just a LeBron lover? Let me tell you why. I do love LeBron. All right, that's part of it. He's one of my favorite players of all time because, damn it, I enjoy greatness, and you should too. But that's not the only reason. The reason is because Kawhi Leonard put himself in this conversation with LeBron, with that commercial. Kawhi did this. So now you want to put out that commercial on national TV? That's the standard I got to hold you to. That is the standard I got to hold you to. And everyone knows the LeBron standard is being held up to the standard of Michael Jordan. So that is the standard I got to hold Kawhi Leonard to. And he came up short, man. There's no way to explain it other than he came up very short. And I've said it all playoffs. I haven't said it on the podcast, but I've said it to my friends and the Clippers worried me because Kawhi Leonard, it felt like, just go look at the highlights, really. I implore you, go look at the highlights, all bubble. All bubble long, Kawhi Leonard, every single shot he took, he was flinching, he was trying to James Harden it, he was trying to draw fouls, and he did the same thing in Game 7, and it was to his detriment.
Now, you can call me a LeBron lover. You can call me that. I'm okay with that. All I'm saying is he put himself in that conversation with LeBron. And when you do that, it's dangerous, man. It's dangerous. And I think Kawhi Leonard just found out how hard it is to try to be the face of the league. It is a pressure that LeBron James has handled gracefully his whole career. Now, there have been a few speed bumps. I will give you that. There have been a lot of speed bumps. But overall, LeBron's done a great job carrying that mantle. And Kawhi Leonard proved, you know what, LeBron, you can look at the GOAT debate however you want. But if you don't have LeBron James second, there's something wrong with you. Michael is 1A, and I look at LeBron as 1B. And if that's the case, we got to hold Kawhi to that standard because he basically proclaimed he was better than LeBron. So we got holding that standard. And if we do, if we're being honest, zero points in the fourth quarter? You, you, uh, you can't have that. You cannot have that. And then today, today, taking a shot at his own team, saying that they've got to be smarter. Really? You want to know what's smart, Kawhi? Maybe not taking 20-plus games off a year so you can build team chemistry, which is what the number one excuse was for your team after losing that game. Maybe that would be smarter for the Clippers. I mean, it's unbelievable. If you see the excuses this team has made, there is no excuse. I would have a lot more respect for this team if they just owned it. If they just said, you know what? We failed this year, but we're going to come back next year. That is a better message than what this team's given us. Kawhi's given us, we got to be smarter. We got reports coming out that they're fatigued. You fatigued? Fatigued? As if you had to go through any harder road than any team in the bubble right now? And you're fatigued? Come on, man. Come on. These excuses are deep. They're deep. And it starts with their star player. I don't like that comment, we gotta be smarter. What does that mean? Can you elaborate for us, Kawhi? Do you gotta be smarter and not miss 20-plus games a season? Because that's what it seems like to me. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And Kawhi Leonard is someone that's built his whole career around load managing. And this is the last thing I'll have to say about Kawhi. Because I've ripped him enough so far. <laughs> I really have. But this is what I'll say about Kawhi. I told you guys in my podcast a few weeks ago when they were playing the Mavericks that this is worrisome for Kawhi Leonard. Because there is no load management in the bubble. They are playing every other day. That means Kawhi Leonard is asked to play about 40 minutes every other day. You do realize that he's never been asked to do that in his entire career. Just think about that. LeBron James, you watch him in the playoffs... He's over 40 minutes on average every single game. He can't take a break. I mean, really? And he's lasted 17 years in this league. That counts for something. Kawhi Leonard can't even do it for a season. That's a problem. That is a big problem big problem and he does not deserve to be let off the hook he does not now i know a lot of star players have had meltdowns and Kawhi leonard he'll probably bounce back from it he probably will which is why if he didn't come out with that commercial on opening night 
I would have a lot nicer things to say about him because we saw Magic turn into tragic. We've seen Larry Bird fail. We saw LeBron fail. Hell, even before Jordan got to the finals, he failed a lot. These players fail. But what separates it is the fact that he, that Kawhi Leonard had that commercial on opening night dangling the keychain with the crown in everybody's face. And not only was that disrespectful to LeBron, but that was disrespectful to Kevin Durant. That was totally disrespectful to Kevin Durant as well. Just think about it. Just think about that commercial. He's got a crown dangling from the keychain symbolizing, I am now the king of the NBA. And that's majorly disrespectful to not only LeBron, but Kevin Durant. Like I said, someone who won two championships before, two in a row, may I add, two finals MVPs. And let me just remind folks that when Kevin Durant played in those finals, he only played like 11 minutes and he had like 11 points. It was clear to anybody watching when Kevin Durant came back, not one was if he stayed healthy, the Warriors were going to win. And number two, that he's just better than Kawhi. I mean, really. And Kawhi, he had that commercial. So I cannot let him off the hook. He came up short. I'll remind you again, zero points in the fourth quarter. And then those comments today, way out of bounds, man. Way out of bounds. And there's another thing Kawhi deserves some blame for, and that is who he wanted as his running mate. He told the Clippers, I am not coming there unless you find a way to get Paul George over there as well. Oh, I've told you my last podcast. <laughs> you cannot rely on Paul George to do anything when it comes to the playoffs. You're talking about someone who gave his nick. He gave himself his own nickname, Playoff P. That's not how you get nicknames in the NBA. You get your nicknames by how you play in the big moments. And, Ka and not Kawhi. And Paul George gave himself that nickname for why. I don't I can't I couldn't tell you why. I told you about his last elimination games. He has a lot of playoff games where he's two for eleven, four for seventeen, four for sixteen. And I told you last podcast, I do not know what I'm gonna get from Paul George, but I have a good idea, and it's not much. And that's what he did. Four of sixteen, ten points. In zero points as well in the fourth quarter. And I know I get labeled a Laker homer, but it was one thing in the beginning of the season. I did not call the Clippers inconsistency. That's something I've seen throughout the year that I've picked up on. But what I did pick up on from the very beginning of the season when people picked the Clippers was, wow, you're putting a lot of faith in Paul George. A lot of faith. And what, what does history tell you? History repeats itself and history has told you that in the biggest moments paul george cannot be found and he struggles and he's got to get blamed I mean, he totally came unraveled in that game hitting the side of the backboard on a wide open three are you kidding me I mean, the whole team choked. It took seven minutes for them to even make a shot in the fourth quarter. So they obviously got tight, and they obviously felt the pressure. And Paul George was one of those people hitting the side. He clanked the side of the backboard on a wide-open three. That's okay to do in a YMCA gym if you're like 50 years old. But when you're Paul George and people are proclaiming you to be a superstar, that is not okay. And he came unraveled, and he cannot be let off the hook because of his comments post-game throughout this series. Someone needs to stop him from talking post-game. After game five, Paul George said the Clippers were still in the driver's seat. And then after game six, he said the same exact thing. Two games where they gave up double-digit leads. He said that. 
You can't let this man off the hook. If you're in the driver's seat, well then, sir, what the hell happened? Who crashed the car? Who was the passenger in that car? Well, I would say that Kawhi crashed the car and you were the number one passenger. I mean, really? And then he wants to come out after game seven and say, and say that this season wasn't championship or bust for the Clippers? I mean, Paul George, did you see how much the Clippers gave up to get you there? Did you see that? And you certainly weren't saying that when you were in your Twitter beef with Damian Lillard telling him he's going to go home early, basically insinuating that you weren't. That's basically what you did. You told Dame Lillard and you getting sent home this year. Respect. As if you thought you were going to win the championship. And Damian Lillard looks right today, man. Keep switching teams, Paul. Keep looking for the easy way out. Because clearly, you weren't built for the hard way. And your numbers in the biggest moments of your career prove it. You don't come out of here unscathed. No. Anyone who watches basketball and plays pays close attention has got to be wondering to themselves right now, is Paul George even a good second option? Should this man be a third option on a team? That's what I'm thinking. Because he can be a second option on a team, but guess what? If he's your second option, you're not winning no damn championship. You're not. So he's got to be a third option. And that's how he plays in the big moments. He does not escape criticism from this one bit. And neither does Kawhi. Because Kawhi, this is the man you wanted to join you in a Clippers uniform. This is what you wanted. Now, I got to wonder if Kawhi's having second thoughts about that right now. Because Paul George continues to not be who everyone besides me apparently thinks he is. I've never thought he was a superstar, and I've never, ever thought that he could even come close to Anthony Davis. This is bad for the Clippers. This is bad. I mean, Kawhi thought he was under pressure this year after a 3-1 collapse like this. Just imagine the pressure they're going to be under next year to try to right the ship. It's unbelievable. They have bitten themselves in the foot right here. And when Kawhi and Paul George only have one year left on their contracts, you got to wonder about their future. Especially Kawhi. You got to wonder what he's thinking right now. You really do. And then Paul George. I mean, I don't even know if this is possible, but I want to throw it out there. I really want to throw it out there. If I'm the Clippers, I'd try to get rid of Paul George. I know it might not be possible. And I, this is just off the top of my head, so don't malign me if it doesn't work salary cap-wise or whatever. Don't malign me for that. But if I'm the Clippers right now, I'm getting on the phone with the Washington Wizards, and I'm seeing if they're going to take Paul George and maybe a few other pieces for a Bradley Beal. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. You're not going to win a championship with Paul George as your second-best player. You're just not. It's not going to happen. So the Clippers, that's their dilemma going forward. What do they do about Paul George? And how do they improve this team? There's a lot of questions for the Clippers going into this offseason after that embarrassing debacle that they displayed here in the second round of the NBA playoffs. One of those decisions will obviously be Montrez Harrell and what do the Clippers do about him? But he actually showed up in Game 7. He's one of the Clippers that actually showed up in Game 7. I'm looking at him. He had 20 points. So he showed up. He had the most points on the team. So I do think they resign him. But there's got to be some questions asked about Lou Williams. He's getting older. He's never performed that well in the playoffs. He's always been a regular season performer. You got to have questions about him and really about this Clipper team. You, you, I mean, at this point, you got to have questions about everybody. I mean, really. you, Doc Rivers, Kawhi, Paul George, Montrez, Harold, Lou Williams, they all share in the blame somewhat. And if you're a Clipper fan, you've got to have questions about every 
single one of them. All right, now that we got the Clippers debacle out of the way, we got to move on to the Nuggets because they did win this game, and they didn't just win it. They won it handily, 104-89. to They won that by 15 points against the Clippers, and they are the only team in NBA history to come back multiple times down 3-1 in a series. So the Nuggets deserve just as much credit as the Clippers deserve blame. And I've never seen a team quite like this Nugget team. I really haven't. They have resilience. They have heart. And it makes me sad for Denver because you guys know I live here in Longmont. I live in Colorado. And I'll be the first to tell you that this Nugget team doesn't get the support that they deserve for some reason. Instead, people are more concerned about you know, giving that support to the Broncos, who have not been good since John Elway. I mean, yeah, of course, you got Peyton Manning, so you won a few Super Bowls, but that's the only reason why. You take that away, you have not been good in years, in decades. The Nuggets actually have, and they don't pay attention to the Nuggets. What bothers me about Colorado wins is what bothers me about Denver people, because this team this year deserves to be looked at, and they deserve to be cheered on. No team has come back multiple times from a 3-1 deficit, man. This team's got heart. They've got resilience. They've got leadership. I could not have been more wrong about Michael Malone. I told you guys that last podcast. He deserves his credit, and he deserves me flat out saying I was wrong. I was wrong. I got it wrong. I did. I'll be the first to admit that. When you're in this, when you occupy this space, you got to admit when you're wrong. And you got to admit when you're right, and I was wrong about that. And you're going to be wrong a lot of the time. I mean, that's just the way it is when you occupy this type of space. That's the way it is. When you make predictions like me and like these other people out there, you're going to be wrong a lot. It is what it is. You got to live with it. Now for the Nuggets, I got to talk about Jokic. This guy, (laughs) he's amazing. He is absolutely amazing, and he dismantled the Clippers. I told you in my last podcast, Game 7's come down to two things. Number one, it comes down to whose star player plays the best. That goes to the Nuggets. Check. Jokic was the best player on the floor in that Game 7, by far. And then number two was which team has more chemistry. Obviously, the Nuggets have been through four Game 7s in the last two years. Game 7s build chemistry because it's do or die. They build chemistry, and this team had it. And I'm looking at Jokic in Game 7. 16 points, 22 rebounds, and 13 assists. That's a monster triple-double. Only 16 points, but I'll remind you folks that the Clippers were doing everything that they could to take him out of the game. And he found other ways to affect it. Not to mention he was great on defense. Kawhi Leonard could not find an open basket down the lane because Jokic was protecting the paint. And Jokic, this guy has so much potential. He is going to be the MVP of this league one day. Mark my words. One day, Nikola Jokic is going to be the MVP of the season. And the last few days, I can't lie to you, I've I've been struggling to find players that remind me of Jokic. But just this morning, I came up with two of them. Jokic is like Larry Bird mixed with Dirk Nowitzki. Those are legendary players, man. And he reminds me of Larry Bird mainly because Larry Bird was a very underrated passer, and Jokic is a fantastic passer. And then he reminds me of both of them because he's got that high release. It's so hard to block that high release, much like Larry Bird and much like Dirk. But where he also reminds me of Dirk is the one-footed jumpers. Now, I know Jokic does it off of the wrong foot usually, and that's even more impressive than Dirk's, But still, it has a Dirk type of feel. And if you watch Dirk throughout his career, two things stand out. Number one, the rainbow shots. His shots are so high arching. Same thing with Jokic. And then number two, 
is the footwork. And Nowitzki's footwork was fantastic, underrated. And Jokic has some of the best footwork I've seen since Kevin McHale himself in the 80s. Jokic deserves all the credit in the world right now. And mainly because after this series, this is a type of playoff series where you cement yourself as a superstar. Jokic has done that. This man is a superstar in this league, and he's going to be for years to come. No other way around it. No other way around it. And the Nuggets do such a great job in the draft, and they do such a great job developing players that I have one team that this Nugget team reminds me of. And it's the Golden State Warriors when they got Steph, Clay, Draymond. This Nugget team has built through the draft, and they've drafted excellently well. I mean, they've they've been so excellent on their picks. Picking Joker, picking Murray, who's been fantastic. Then you look at Michael Porter Jr., Game 5, he had 7 points in the final 1 minute of the game. And he stepped up, rebounding the ball and playing defense. Michael Porter Jr. has played bigger than the numbers will tell you. That was their draft pick. And they still got Bull Bull waiting in the wings. And Bull Bull is a scary player, man. If you didn't pay attention to him in college, and you haven't paid attention to him in the seeding games, he is a scary potential player. He has so much potential. And this Nugget team deserves credit. Their front office deserves credit. And it's not just Jokic. Jamal Murray has been big time these playoffs. He is ascending to a star before our very eyes. 40 points in Game 7 against the Clippers, the favorites. After only scoring one three-pointer in his last three Game 7s, Murray did that. 40 points. He was a do-for-one, and he gave you one. And he deserves credit. This Nugget team deserves a ton of credit because it's not easy coming down from 3-1, man. A lot of teams, I've watched a lot of basketball, a lot of teams after going down 3-1, they mail it in, they pack it in, and they say, you know what, it's just time to go home. I don't want to prolong the series because we're going to go home anyway, so let's just get it done. The Nuggets didn't do that. Even when they were down by double figures and it would have been easy for them to quit, they did not do that. This team's got heart. This team's got resilience. And this team is a team that the Lakers better not take lightly. And with that being said, let's just get into this Western Conference final matchup. Nuggets-Lakers. The Lakers won the season series 3-1. to one. They actually won both games in Denver. And even though they won those three games, all three of those games were extremely close. The Nuggets got the Lakers in a blowout game. I believe it was like 124-108 to 108 in LA or something like that. But like I said, the Nuggets are not a team to take lightly. And I don't know if anybody puts any stock to the regular season compared to the playoffs, but let's just look at some regular season numbers here. I'm looking at some regular season numbers for the Lakers against the Nuggets. LeBron James versus the Nuggets this year was 28.7 points per game, 11.7 assists per game. He was 31% from the three and 48.5% from the field. So obviously LeBron James dominated. He obviously played very well. I wouldn't say dominated as much because of the 48.5% from the field, but he obviously played very well against the Nuggets, and so did Anthony Davis. He had 29.3 points per game, 9.3 rebounds. He was 35% from the three and 54% from the field. So those are good numbers as well. And I I, 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 I got to let you guys in on a little story here because, you know, it deserves it. For those of you that don't know, in February, I can't remember if it was February 13th or February 14th earlier this year, I actually went to the Lakers at the Nugget Games. Those of you guys who know, I am stationed here in Colorado. I live in Longmont. So I went to the Lakers at the Nuggets February 13th or 14th. I don't know what it was. And it was a hell of a game, man. It went OT. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I don't I couldn't tell you that I thought the Nuggets would make it to the Western Conference final, but 
they played the the Lakers real, real close that game. And it was just, I have to just let you in on the story because it was just such a cool game to go to. It was a month, basically not a month yet, basically like three weeks after Kobe's death. And after the Lakers won that game, you know, we were exiting the hallways and all the fans, even Nugget fans started chanting Kobe's name. So it was one of the coolest moments. And I had to throw that out there before I get any more into this series. Just to let you guys know, because it was obviously a fantastic game. And it was one of the best moments of my life. One of the best games I've ever been to in my life as well. Because you know how I'm a LeBron fan. It was really cool to go to that game. And after the game, to have everyone chanting Kobe's name just under three weeks after his death. I mean, that was... It was incredible. It was an incredible experience, and the Nuggets played the Lakers well, and we went over the Lakers' averages through, over the Nuggets, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Now we got to go through the Nuggets' averages, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, and they really surprisingly struggled against the Lakers. Jokic only had 16.3 points per game, just about six assists a game and only five rebounds, but he did shoot 62% from the three, and 49% from the field. So that, that those are good, but the 16.3 and the 6 assists, those have got to be up, and I think that they will be up. And then I'm looking at Jamal Murray, 18.5 points per game against the Lakers this year, 6 assists per game. He was only 15% from the 3. That's an issue. We'll see if he can turn that around in the series, and only 47% from the field, so... It's going to be interesting. I mean, you look at Jamal Murray in the postseason, he's averaging 27.1, 6.4 assists, 49% from the three, and 50% field goal. So those numbers have went up in the postseason. Same with Jokic. He's averaging 25.4, 6 assists, and 11 rebounds off of 44% from the three, and 51.5 from the field. So, I mean, I don't know how much you can put stock into the regular season because I do think that this Jokic and Murray, they're – Two completely different players now. Jokic is a different player in the playoffs. That's when he saves his best is when he's in the playoffs. So I don't think you're going to get a 16 points per game out of Jokic per se. But I do think that the Nuggets are going to need Jokic and Murray to play like they have this postseason. If Jokic and Murray do play like they did against Lakers in the regular season, they're not going to win. In order for the Nuggets to have a chance to win, They've got to play like they did so, or like they have so far in the postseason. That's just what they have to do. And I don't know how it'll go because I'm not sure how great of a matchup this is for the Nuggets when I really look at it. And what I mean by that is Anthony Davis can guard Jokic, and he probably will a lot of the time. Dwight Howard will be used as the defensive foul guy. Anthony Davis will be used as the guy to guard Jokic when it matters most. And to me, this is just a bad matchup for the Nuggets. Like I said about AD, like you can say a lot about Montrez Harrell. Yes, he's great, sixth man of the year. But when it comes to defense, he's nowhere near Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis can play the Joker probably better than anyone in the NBA can play the Joker. So that's going to be something to watch. But then when I also look what gives the Lakers the edge in the series, to me, is LeBron James. Who on the Nuggets is going to guard LeBron James. I mean, really? I don't know. This is LeBron James has an advantage this series in his 28.7 points per game, almost 12 assists per game, shows you that. He feels good against the Nuggets, and he should. They don't have anybody that can guard him. And Jokic was good on the defensive end in Game 7 of the Clippers series, but... I am not 100% convinced that he can guard Anthony Davis, which he might have to because, yes, they have Paul Millsap, but Paul Millsap, I don't think he can guard Davis either. Even Jeremy Grant, I don't think, can guard Davis. Davis is a monster. He's a monster. So is Jokic, but, you know, the playoffs are about matchups, and I just think this is a bad matchup per se for the Denver Nuggets. I do. No, I do think it's going to be a close series because the regular season games were close, at least. You know what I'm saying? So I think it'll be a close series, no doubt about it. No doubt one bit in my mind that it'll be a close series. You know? 
it'll definitely be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. But if you're going to ask me, I'll take the Lakers in this series and I'll take them in six. And you may ask, you know, in six, you just gave the Nuggets a lot of respect. You don't respect the Nuggets? I do respect the Nuggets. I respect them so much that I say six for the Lakers because they better get it done in six. You don't want this thing to go seven. The Nuggets are supremely competent right now. You don't want this to go seven. You don't want it to go seven. If you're LeBron, you want to get in there, you want to take care of business, and you want to get to the finals. That's what you want to do. You want to get to your 10th finals. 10th. (laughs) That's ridiculous, man. And nobody gives them credit for it. 10 finals. You people don't realize how hard that is. Just ask Kawhi. You know, he was the favorite this year. Just ask Kawhi how hard that is. That's neither here nor there, though. This series will be good. And I wouldn't be surprised one bit if the Nuggets stole game one, even though I got the Lakers winning in six. Don't be surprised one single bit if the Nuggets are able to steal game one. And the reason why, LeBron James just is not very good in game ones. He's lost six of his last seven. He's like a boxer. He's like a defensive boxer. He uses game one to feel it out. He's going to feel out what the Nuggets are doing, how they're playing, and then he waits for game two to really hit really hit the playoff mode in game two. That's what he waits for. Game one, he's never he's never really been a great game one performer, especially six of the last seven times he hasn't. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Nuggets win game one, but like I said, I will take the Lakers in six. That's just how I feel about it. I don't think it's a great matchup for the Nuggets. I think it's a great matchup for the Lakers. And I think this is LeBron's opportunity to really seize the moment and try to capture that fourth ring. So it'll be an interesting series. We'll see how it goes. I think the games will be definitely good. I think Jokic has enough to give the Lakers a lot of problems and Anthony Davis a lot of problems. But Anthony Davis is a better defender than what Jokic has seen so far in the playoffs and a more athletic because Rudy Gobert is a great defender. But I mean, when you look at his athleticism, it's nowhere near Anthony Davis. So it's going to be an interesting matchup to see that's the matchup i'm most looking forward to in this series and we'll see how it goes we will see how that one goes but like i said i wouldn't be surprised if nuggets take game one but i will take the lakers overall in six and with that out of the way i hope everyone enjoys the heat and celtics game tonight I hope everyone enjoys their sports over the weekend. I know I will, and I hope everyone has a great weekend. If you like the podcast, give it a follow on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to share it around with all of your friends who love basketball as well, and do not be afraid to join in on the discussion. I love that. That is the best for me, so do not be afraid of that at all. All, and with that being said, we will see you guys here next week.